Merry Christmas, Christ the Lord Church. He is born today in the city of Bethlehem. Amen? Amen. This morning, our scripture reading is from 1 John, and it is chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And the word of the Lord reads this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Father as we come to your word, Father, as we come to hear, as we come to to see it, to, to speak it, Father. May, um, may our hearts um, be receptive, may we be humble, may we hear your word. Father, may we enjoy you through your word. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, as it's been said many times, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas again. <laughs> what a joy it is to, to see you all this morning. I want to bring something to your attention. I don't know if you know this, but the Lord, in, according to the Scriptures, never once told us to celebrate His birth, but He made it very clear that we're to not neglect the gathering of the saints. And so on this day, I can't imagine anywhere else better to be than right here with you. Amen? together, singing praises to him, hearing his voice through his word, proclaiming his glory, and enjoying his presence through each other. Our Lord came to earth to be a man, to invade our darkness with his light, and to bring us to salvation through his life, death, and his resurrection. That is why we say, Merry Christmas. That is why you and I should be merry on Christmas, because Christ came to earth. But our world wants us to be merry for many other reasons. The world around us wants us to be merry because of temporary pleasure and gift giving, or a chance to see Uncle Joe, sorry if your name's Joe, <clears throat> for whom you don't actually care about the rest of the year. Or our world wants us to be merry at Christmas because you have a new year coming to fix everything you broke this past year, a, a chance to change things. Or maybe it's a, the world wants us to be merry because you get a few days off work, a few days to do something else, or because of cool light displays and more eating out and less cooking, or maybe the other way around if you prefer it. Our world wants us to be merry because of a chance to look awesome by the gifts you give, or a few moments where the kids are distracted by the gifts you gave, at least hopefully, or a chance to feel good about buying something that you wouldn't normally buy or spending the money you wouldn't normally spend. The world wants us to be merry for lots of these reasons. 
All things, though, all of these things, though, are fleeting and momentary. All things that the, that the world around us can kind of package, and then when it disappoints, can repackage it next year with different wrapping paper and a different uh, logo and a different marketing scheme. All things that the world can sell you. All things that ultimately the world uses to control you for its own glory and its own purposes. But Christians are merry this time of year because Jesus came to destroy the bondage of sin and death in this world. Let me remind you of a few words that Jesus said before we get into this first John passage. Jesus came, he says, not to bring peace, but a sword. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus' words, if you have a fancy Bible and it's in red, these words would be in red because Jesus said them. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then five verses later in verse 39 of Matthew 10, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus came to fight against the evil of our day, particularly the evil that's found inside of each one of us. And then that famous phrase where it says, you know, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, right? We sing that song, you hear that song all over the place. Well, that passage actually says, this is Luke 2 verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased, so there's peace for those with whom God is pleased, not, not just peace to the world. When we celebrate Christmas, this, here's the reality. When Christians celebrate Christmas and are merry for the right reasons, we are a danger to the world around us. We don't fit the mold of the world around us. We are not controllable like the rest of the world is controllable. We're not able to be manipulated to buy this or buy that or to gather for this reason or gather for that reason. We're actually rebels to the culture when we are merry for the right reasons. Because when we're married for their reasons, then they can control those reasons and manipulate people according to those reasons. And I bring those two things because Jesus didn't come to just bring a general peace to the world, but a peace through his life, death, and resurrection, a peace with God that to the world does not look much like peace. So today, I want to give you... Um, I told a few people, we're just, it's going to be a 30-minute short devotional this morning. So if you're a regular here, you know that's about half of what we normally are. So that's my aim. But I want to give you this Sunday five ways to rebel this Christmas. Five ways to rebel this Christmas. To tell the world you've got nothing on my reasons for being merry. To tell the world you don't have control of me or my household. Five reasons to be full of cheer, to be joyous, to be happy, to be hopeful, to be merry for the right reasons. The first one is this. See the eternal. 
see the eternal, meaning have eyes, see it. Our world seems fleeting and flaky. If you've got your eyes opened at all, nothing seems constant. Nothing seems steady. Tomorrow seems less secure than ever. I mean, we can't even be sure of what a person's gender is anymore, let alone sure of what tomorrow's going to look like. Christmas itself, the day Christmas, today, yesterday, is weird. All sorts of emotions and thoughts, and all, oftentimes this spectrum of emotions and thoughts all experienced in one single day. Excited to see some people, less excited to see others, and really not looking forward to seeing certain people. Excited to give gifts, not excited to give gifts, disappointed in the gifts you got, excited in the gifts you got, ready for it to be over, all the expectations, too many people, come on January, or maybe depressed when the sentiments are over, but happy when the hoopla is done. Our world, our life was created, though, to live eternally in joyous communion with God Yet as sin entered the world, that was broken. Our world, we sense the fleetingness, the temporalness of the world. It wasn't meant to be that way. It seems here one day and gone tomorrow, right? We know that phrase. But when Christ came, John tells us here that eternal life came. 1 John 1, 2, he says, We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Listen, at Christmas, eternality himself, eternal life himself burst forth into creation, into the fleetingness, the temporalness of life. He himself, think about that, that which was created to be eternal, yet death to all enters through one man's sin, Adam, so all creation is headed towards a collision with death. But in a moment, 2,000 years ago, eternal life himself becomes a part of that creation and bursts forth amongst the earth, destined to death, now enters eternal life himself. In 1 John, it says that he was from the beginning, that he was with the Father, that he is indeed eternal life. At Christmas time and every other day, we should see the eternal. When we see the eternal and cling to the eternal, meaning Christ himself, when the rest of the world is desperately trying to grab our attention to worship the temporal, we are rebellious threats to this age. That we don't succumb to their control. We don't act when in the way they tell us to act. Listen, let me put that practically. When the joy of gift giving runs out, you and I don't have to chase the next fleeting thing the world offers. We Christians are still merry. 
When the sentimentalism of terrible family relationships leave you empty this Christmas, you can return to the eternal church family that we Christians are still merry about. When that child is unhappy with that toy you banked all of your joy upon, we don't have to go out and buy another one. We Christians are still merry. We don't have to cling or rest our thoughts upon the flakiness of our world, but the transcendent, eternal Christ. This makes us dangerous in a world so desperate to control us. We rebel when we see the eternal, and we cling to the eternal. We also rebel when we value the material, when we value the material. Gifts, gifts, and more gifts. How many of you have gotten gifts or given gifts already? All right? There you go. Praise God. Our world says give gifts because it will make you feel good. Get the perfect gift and you'll be glorious. Buy this gift and you can make up for all the terrible parenting in an instant. Give this gift and it will meet your needs this next year. Our world says, buy our gift, get our gift, and you can have your dreams. Let us control you and guide you with our gift. And then on top of that, we live in a Christianity that has rendered the material useless or maybe even evil. Why do we give gifts at Christmas? To remember the gift of Jesus. But is that the only reason that we give gifts at Christmas? Is that the reason you give gifts? But, but, but aren't you torn, like, when we give gifts at Christmas? Like, if, if I give all these gifts to my kids, won't they become, you know, materialistic or spoiled? We live in a Christianity where we've kind of relegated the material to this only dangerous thing that pagans engage in. But Jesus comes into the material Oftentimes at Christmas time, we, in order to feel good about spending money on gifts, we call it just, well, I'm just giving gifts because Jesus was the gift given to us. But, but that, that's not the only reason we can and should give gifts. Christ came into the material. Read in 1 John 1, 2. The life was made, what? Manifest. And we have seen it. Later, we're going to talk about how he touched and fell. He came into the material. The material, meaning the physical world, is not evil in and of itself. The material world is a beautiful part of God's creation. We're told that even the rocks cry out to worship him. The sky displays his beauty. And then day after day after day on repeat, the sunrise and the sunset displays God's sovereign control. We give gifts, yes, because Christ was a gift given to us, but not just because Christ was a gift. We also give gifts of material to enjoy God's gift of the material, a good gift from a good God. Now, that gift can be used wrongly and it can be used rightly. But these gifts we can give, we can enjoy because 
They're good gifts from a good God. When we deeply enjoy God's gift of the material as creation from his hands, we rebel against the forces of this world. Listen, when we don't buy because we think it will fix everything, but because we enjoy the very thing itself as a gift from God, we rebel against this world. When we don't spend money because we're hoping to be liked just a little bit more, but because the material thing can be enjoyed itself as a gift from God, we rebel against this world. When we give because God's creation should be enjoyed, when we give because we recognize the beauty of his creation, when we give because we want to further God's mission through his creation, we revolt against the control of this world. We rebel against even the soft, shallow Christianity that often surrounds us. Yes, we give gifts because Christ was a gift given to us. But we give gifts because his creation is to be enjoyed and to be shared and to be given to each other. We rebel when we value the material, and we also rebel when we remember the historical. When we remember the historical. Just some observations. Christmas seems oftentimes to be all about projected happiness and historical suppression. How can I make them happy this year? How can I be happy this year? And how can I overshadow the past of this last year? How can I escape that? You know how many times I've heard, wow, 2021, 20, you know, 2020 was a doozy. Just can't wait to get that behind us. Let's do everything we can to forget yesterday because no one wants to deal with yesterday. And so we sit at Christmas time hoping for a better future, distracting ourselves from the past, looking to the unknown, hoping for something better. And the world offers up to us, give this gift for a better tomorrow so you can ignore the past, or spend this time with family faking that you like them, and all the past will be fixed. Or sing Santa Baby one more time, and your terrible marriage might just be forgotten. Listen, Christmas is not most fundamentally about, quote, the spirit of the season, or spreading good cheer, Christmas is not most fundamentally even about tomorrow, but Christmas is most fundamentally a celebration of the past. Christmas is not celebrated rightly unless it is thoroughly historical. Do you hear that? It must recognize and celebrate the historical reality of Christ's come to earth. And honestly, I'll just be very forthcoming here, I wish those who did not celebrate the historical reality of Christmas would not celebrate Christmas at all. There's no point. They should celebrate happy holidays. Christmas is about a knight in a stable breaking forth into the darkness where he came, he was seen, he was touched. Tomorrow is unknown, but history is known. 
Tomorrow is lived by faith, but yesterday is enjoyed by sight. When we remember the historical, we tell the culture that it's weak and pathetic, that we don't have to run from the past into the arms of the world and fix all these things their way, supposedly. What we can do is embrace the past. We don't need to escape that. The past is where we learn of redemption. The past is where we learn of the cross. The past is where we learn of a baby who came, who was seen and was touched and eventually lived a life that you and I could not live and died the death that you and I deserved. So I would encourage you, go rebel against the culture, remembering the historical, the historical that the world so desperately wants to forget and wants us to forget. Why? so that they can control the future. But you and I should keep remembering the historical incarnation that Jesus came in the flesh. You keep bringing up that. You keep making that the main point. This makes us dangerous in a world so desperate to suppress the past. We rebel when we remember the historical. We also rebel when we enjoy the fellowship. When we enjoy the fellowship. I'm going to try not to be too snarky here. Christmas seems to bring out the foolishness of sentimental family time. Everyone wants to, quote, bring the family together. You know, spending time with family that you never talk to so you can make other family you barely talk to happy. Here's the insanity. Quote, I don't know who I'm quoting. I'm just quoting to draw attention here. There's something special about being with people you never spend time with any other time of the year. Here's what I think. I think largely it's just a poor understanding of true relationships. Uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not telling you don't go spend time with family. You, never, you can go do that. But, but to think that that offers something beyond what it actually offers is foolishness. And that's what I'm getting at. Listen, when, when shame entered the world through Adam and Eve, I, Adam and Eve enjoyed true relationship with each other and with God their Father unhindered by anything. But then shame entered the world. So that's why Adam and Eve had to cover themselves, because now for the first time they felt shame. There was division between them, and that's why he hid, or they hid from God when God came into the garden, because there's now shame. They felt shame because of their sin. Why is shame such a crucial thing? Because with shame, exploitation can happen. Now, I can be exploited because of my shame. Exploitation is possible. It's now possible to use someone else's inadequacies against them, to control them. So fear enters the relationships. That's why Adam and Eve go and cover themselves. That's why they hide from God. So here's the reality. True relationship, which has happened prior to the fall... Is when shame was not present. So in order for true relationship to happen, shame has to be dealt with. 
Now, some people, I think, like shallow gatherings, relational gatherings, because you don't have to be known. Therefore, you don't have to fear shame because no one knows your secrets or your, the dirt on you to use it against you. See, the world says, come, especially at Christmas time, and feel some community, feel some fellowship with people who don't know you and maybe don't even care about you so that you can be vaccinated to not need real relationships the rest of the year. But true fellowship happens when people see and savor Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John 1 verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I personally have blood relatives that I honestly couldn't care less if I ever saw them again. But I have family in this room and people who are out of town that I would, dev- I would grieve deeply if I did not get to see them again. That's rebellion against this world. That's telling the relationally shallow spirit of this age to get lost. That's a rejection of the control around us, right? You just, you just feel that sentimentalism in the air. And that's why, well, if I don't, if I don't go to that gathering, I'm going to feel guilty, right? I'm going to miss out on those relationships. But we, as God's people, because we have fellowship with the Son and with the Father, And the truth of the gospel can have deep, lasting, eternal relationships. Regardless of whether or not we share a closeness in our biological DNA, we have a spiritual DNA that is the same. A relationship that's built on the truth of God's word where our shame has been dealt with by the cross of Jesus Christ where it's been paid for, instead of the cheap sentimentalism of holiday get-togethers. This also means that if you want true fellowship, whether it's with someone that shares a closeness in DNA or not, that closeness of fellowship comes as we pursue Christ together. That's what John is saying. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, if, I, if we proclaim this to you, upon that hinges our fellowship. Christmas brings true fellowship even to lonely people. Because, again, in the gospel, it deals with our shame. And because of our fellowship is with the triune God. Again, this makes us dangerous in a world so desperate to control us. We rebel when we enjoy God-ordained, God-centered fellowship. Next, we rebel when we complete the joy. When we complete the joy. I phrased it that way on purpose. You'll see why in a minute. Joy, joy, joy to the world, right? A whole lot of singing about joy in a rather joyless place. 
A whole lot of singing about joy with a whole lot of people who honestly don't know the first thing about joy. But if you just do this holiday routine, you're bound to have joy. If you just make that pie and win that contest, you're bound to have joy. If you just get the right gift, you're bound to have joy. If you can just get all the family together one more time, you're bound to have joy. What are these? These are just sentiments that our world feeds us to control us. And so, so many of us walk around as slaves to the world's taskmasters, and we wonder why our lives are joyless. But look at verse 4. He says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What are these things? Right? That Christ has come into the earth, that eternal life has come, that the historical reality of Jesus is true, that the material is to be enjoyed. That fellowship has come. These things. We write these things so that our joy may be complete. See, Christmas is full of joy bursting at the seams. True joy found only in knowing Jesus and fellowship with Jesus. That's the picture here. To be real for just a moment, some of us don't know what I'm even talking about. You have glimpses of happiness, but you don't have a deep, abiding, soul-fattening joy. A rich joy that comes only from knowing God through Christ and His works. On the other hand, some of you have experienced joy this past year like you never have before. You know the richness of a deep, soul-fattening joy. You know an overwhelming joy that takes your heart on a good ride. Or a deep peace and restfulness that comes from a satisfaction you can't explain. Some of you know a new or a fresh, a steady contentedness that makes it seem like you can face whatever is thrown your way today, or in an abiding and lasting steadiness that has come in exchange for the daily roller coaster that you've been so desperate to get off. Some of you know the joy that I speak of, the joy that John is speaking of here. Christ came that his people would have joy, that they'd be set free from the tyranny of sin that they would be washed of their shame, that they would be not controlled by the world any longer. If you want to know where some of that language controlled by the world comes from, go read Ephesians. We're not under submission to the power of the prince of the air of this day. But he came that we would know the joy that comes only from the Father. And when our joy is made complete... When we don't have to depend on the world to give us its fleeting happiness, but when our joy is made complete in Him, we together form an insurgency against the world and its tyranny of fake joy. We have joy, lasting joy. And if you've been here for our Hebrew series, you know that this joy comes by holding fast to our confidence in Christ. 
and boasting in our hope that he will finish the work. If you don't do that, you won't have joy. A deep, abiding, soul-fattening joy. But Christ didn't come that just so that you and I would have joy, but that we would share this joy with others. They wrote these things that those who were writing them and those that would hear them, that their joy would be complete. We write and we speak these things. We live these things and speak them. And if our joy is being completed, we will want to complete others' joy. We'll not want to see them under the tyranny of the world around them in our flesh that's inside of us. We'll not want them to be slaves to temporal fleetingness. But we'll want to show others true joy. Listen, Christmas time is a tricky time because we can often mistake two things or one with the other. Making others temporarily happy with completing their joy. It's really easy to get sucked into that, just making them happy for this moment instead of completing their joy. But how do we, so how do we do one or the, like, how do we do the second? How do we actually complete their joy even in the midst of giving them temporary or material things? We complete their joy as we take all things back to Christ, as we remember Christ, as we see the eternal and we celebrate the historical, as we enjoy fellowship that is found only in Jesus Christ. So listen, you can do that even at family gatherings where there are people who don't know who Jesus is because you can share the joy of the gospel with them. That's how you can take those maybe shallow relationships and shallow conversations and do something more meaningful with them. Remember, if you were here uh, this past Wednesday night, Pastor Russ quoted J.C. Ryle, he said this, happiness communicated doubles itself, but grief grows greater by concealing it, but joy by expression. Joy grows by expressing it. It grows in you, and it grows in others. Joy but not just the fleeting joy of this world, the, the momentary happiness. But we complete each other's joy when we see the eternal and value the material in a godly way. We remember the historical reality of Christ. And we enjoy the fellowship that we have with each other through the blood of Christ that is with the Father and with the Son. So my encouragement to you, even this day, is go rebel against the world. Be dangerous in the midst of its tyrannical control. Be merry Christians having a truly merry Christmas. Go be Christmas rebels, but don't stop just when the Christmas lights have all been packed away. Let's pray. Father, our own flesh the world around us as well seeks to use us for its means. And I'm sure if we're honest with ourselves, we sense and feel the being jerked around like a chain around our necks 
especially around the holidays. Come do this. Go do that. Give this gift. Give that gift. Feel this way. Don't feel this way. Make someone feel this way. Don't make someone feel this way. Being jank, uh, jerked around. But Father, we as Christians can know a, a merry, can know a joy this time that is not at the whim and the will of those things around us, but a joy and a reason to be merry that is transcendent above all of our circumstances, that when all of the hoopla of Christmas is gone tomorrow, when we take all the trees and the decorations down, that we still have reason to be merry because the Christ child is still alive. He was just born yesterday and we celebrate his birth, but he is still alive. For we have seen him, we have touched him, we have known him. So Father, may we walk in that today and tomorrow and the next day. May we, for the remainder of our Christmas celebrations with family, may we take in those moments the real reason to be merry. That Christ has come. And may we share that joy with those around us. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.